Welcome to Dr. Cindy Speaks. Regular musings and reflections on politics, current events, and life as a congressional candidate. Dr. Cindy Banyer is a mom and small business owner fighting for our water, our health, our community. She's running for the people of Southwest Florida, trying to flip Florida 19 from red to blue. Listen as she speaks truth to power and gets real about being a mom and a candidate. Hello there. This is Dr. Cindy Banier or Dr. Cindy Speaks. I am a congressional candidate here for Florida Congressional District 19, that's Southwest Florida, Boca Grande, all the way to Marco Island, coastal Southwest Florida, including Fort Myers and Naples. I'm a mom and small business owner fighting for our water, our health, and our community. And I am so happy to be here with you uh, today to share some time with my special guests uh, who will be joining us shortly. And I am here on what is going to prove to be a a pretty momentous day here in Florida. We have a a significant uptick in the coronavirus here and uh, the governor just announced that they're going to be closing bars again Um, This is a very predictable situation for us here in Florida. We knew it was coming um, and the government just ignored it. And we it was to the peril of the people of this state. And I am very disappointed. um, And as the mother of a vulnerable child, I am worried. Um, I am saddened to see how many people in our community are affected by this just this week in Southwest Florida, a high school girl um, passed away from the coronavirus, a part of this new trend where it's affecting younger people. So I just, I, um, I wish we had done it right in the first place. And there's not a lot else I can say except for everybody should be taking care of themselves and staying safe and washing your hands and using hand sanitizer and staying home as much as possible because it's quite clear that the virus is still on and around us and that there is little that the government, our, both our local government and state government is interested in doing to help protect us. And this for me is also a troubling component uh, when it comes to the failure of our government. And I'm very upset that we are in this situation where the erosion of trust of our government is um, is so significant that we can't even believe them when it comes to our health and safety. And they sold us out for the economy and I'm, I'm very upset about that. But anyway, I'm sure this will come up in our conversation. We have a couple of very fantastic guests here today and we'll get them called in here and we'll look forward to speaking with them. Um, there's been a lot of interesting things going on in the state of Florida outside of the coronavirus, I will say. Um, and uh, the two guests I have here coming on shortly are part of this historic run in the state of Florida. For the first time in 25 years, the Democrats in the state have fielded a candidate in every single state house and state Senate race, I think with the exception of one. 
And uh, this is amazing. This is something that we should be doing all the time. We shouldn't just be handing seats over to Democrats or to Republicans because we just think it's it's a little bit easier to win some certain seats. I think that every time that we hand a victory over to them, the more emboldened they become to you know, bring us to the place where we are right now, where they are running a crony government and they are willing to lie and manipulate data um, all for their own uh, benefit, uh, benefit, as well as their, their crony networks benefit, uh, not the regular people. Um, and so I think it's really important that we have Democrats, even if they're underdogs in every single seat, because we make them run a campaign rather than just giving them the seat without even a fight. So that's a really important thing. Um, so waiting on the guests to call in now. And here they are. Great. So let's try and get this connected. Hello. All can right. Hello. Can you hear me? I can. Yes. Yeah, we both can. Can you hear me? Perfect. That's great. Um, it looks like my uh, microphone had some problems earlier, but glad we are able to sort it out and have you here today. So um, let me introduce you guys. We have um, Rachel Brown and Anselm Weber. Is that how you say your name? Anselm. Yes, correct. Yeah, Anselm. Good. Yeah, pretty good. good. <laughs> I, I was practicing, so... Good, Anselm. Um, great. And so these are two candidates who are filling some of those slots all over the state of Florida to make sure that we're not just handing elections to Republicans. Mm -hmm. And um, this is fantastic. And I'm so encouraged that they both stood up and they have some amazing uh, stories to share with you um, about who they are and, and uh, what brought them to this place. Um, but Go ahead, uh, and, and also we have a, a connection here, right? Because we are all part of the FGCU family. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, indeed. We're both uh, FGCU. We are. Um, yep. I graduate already, and Rachel here is still in school. Still working on it. Good. So let's go. Let's do in turn. So maybe Rachel, you can go first. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about the seat that you're running for. And, okay. you know, what's why are you doing this? What's going on? Okay. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for having us. First of all, I'm super excited to be on a podcast. I've never done it before. Um, but and especially excited to be on yours because I know you're a fellow progressive and um, I've seen some of the stuff that you uh, post about the environment and of course that's one of my number one issues. Um, I got involved with the Sunrise Movement about a year ago and I was starting up the Sunrise Hub, uh, basically our chapters at Florida Gulf Coast. And so I worked on that for a year and I was working with other organizations on campus and in the community um, to try to organize a, a sort of a Green New Deal, like a local Green New Deal. Um, so I have a background in that kind of stuff and doing climate strikes, um, going to a lot of protests and um, hosting and helping out with a lot of events um, about sustainability and a lot of stuff about plant-based uh, a plant-based diet um, which is part of you know which is part of sustainability but of course it's 
you know, more than just personal changes, it's political changes that need to happen as climate change is rising so quickly. Um, the rate is rising so quickly. But um, mm -hmm. so that's kind of my background. And I also study environmental engineering at school. I'm almost done with my degree, but I felt like it was incredibly, incredibly pertinent that I run now because there are a lot of a lot of scary people that if they get in power, if they get more power are, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it's, I don't know what's going to happen to our environment. It's basically like they're trading our ecosystem for development, basically to capitalize mm -hmm. on, um, you know, on, on our ecosystems. Yeah. Um, well, Rachel, but, tell us, uh, yeah. tell us the race that you're running for again, the seat that you're running for. Yes. I'm running for Florida state Senate district 27. That's right. And so there, yeah. you're the only Democrat in that race. Is that right? I am. Yes. And now we have two Republicans running one of whom dropped out of my race. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Heather Fitzenhagen is also running in the Republican ticket. Um, so they're going to have, so Heather and Ray Rodriguez are going to have a primary, um, but I am the Democratic candidate. And I'm very, very honored to be the Democratic candidate. Great. Great. So that, that's, that's great. So thank you for that. Um, Anselm, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the race that you're running? Yes. Um, my background, um, I was a, I got my history degree at Florida Gulf Coast University. Um, I spent a lot of time in school being active, um, specifically with uh, students for sensible drug policy. We organized around um, mass incarceration, um, the criminal justice system, and um, a lot of the things that are going on right now with the larger um, police reform, police defunding kind of movement going on. But um, yeah, I after school, I um, became an organizer for Next Gen Florida, and I was mm -hmm. registering voters, um, spreading the word around about the election this last year, and I got an approach to run for State House District 76, um, and yeah, which is, um, if anyone knows, is Fort Myers Beach, um, San Carlos Park, Bonita Springs, Sanibel Islands, that neck of the woods around Lee County. Great. All right. Well, yeah, well, congratulations. And so who are the, so, and you are the Democratic nom nominee, right? There's no one else in yes. your race? Yes. And who are there the are other two. Republicans running for that? Do you know? Yes, they're um, Adam Botana and Jason Mahon. I believe uh, Adam Botana is sort of running a little more moderate. Jason Mahon is running on a very just pro-Trump agenda kind of message. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. which I'm excited to go up against. <laughs> <laughs> you are, huh? You're ready to go, yeah. huh? Exactly. So why is yeah. that? Why, why are you ready to, to, to campaign against the Trump agenda? Uh, I mean, it's just a very blatant example of dereliction of duty, dereliction of interest in public safety or health. Um, it's a very self-serving um, very anti-environment, anti-low-income people kind of agenda. And I have um, the politics of being pro-worker, pro-environment, 
pro-public safety, pro-public health. And I'm excited to go up against something that represents so much wrong with the U.S., Florida, Lee County in terms of our local politics and state politics. So, yeah, I think it would be a very good versus evil kind of uh, race to run against that. But um, in general, I'm excited to run and just to show um, Southwest Florida um, just the kind of uh, change that we really need to at the local and state level. Well, that's great. So that's great. So I love that both of you have this kind of activist background. You know how to connect with people and get things done. And, and that's fantastic. And you know that I have that um, activist background myself as well. So I, um, I'll just talk a little bit about that here because I don't get a, a, a lot of opportunity to talk about it. But um, I have been in Southwest Florida in particular, I've been doing a lot of community-based advocacy work around, I got my start doing actually complete streets and safe streets uh, stuff because I came back from Japan and I had this vision of driving my bike around. And then the reality of Southwest Florida is that we're the most dangerous place Mm. in the country for people on bikes and people who are walking. And so I kind of immediately got um, activated in that group, um, helping them with communications and uh, designing, um, you know, grants and policies to help improve our streets. And um, that's where my my local, that's so cool. you know, that's advocacy cool. work started. I was also part of the Occupy Fort Myers movement, which was um, really relevant to right now, actually. And I'll, mm-hmm. I'll make that connection in a moment. But mm-hmm. I started, I, I was uh, at the time just had my, my oldest daughter was a, a baby and Uh, they were occupying the park and I was right there with them in terms of, you know, acknowledging the, uh, the growing uh, inequality in our economy and how people were just disenfranchised from the system. Because frankly, that's what I had spent my, you know, my career up to that point um, researching and advocating around is how do we have inclusive government? How do we bring people into the process? And it was very clear that we weren't doing that. And, so I, I got involved in the movement there. I was trying to um, do some organizing there, I would say. I mean, it's really hard considering Occupy itself is supposed to be a completely decentralized kind of movement. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was working with our group here trying to get uh, ideas and agendas and, and way that we can move forward. And I ended up being part of a group of 11 of those protesters who ended up suing the city for First Amendment right violations for gathering in the park. Yeah, and they, uh, I mean, they evicted us. And I mean, I didn't get arrested, but I got a citation and we had this big confrontation with the police. And um, so anyway, and it was about a year, maybe almost 18 months process. So by the time we actually got our day in court, Occupy was, you know, gone out of everybody's mind. But it was really important for us because the city was evicting us from the park because they didn't like what we were doing. And that's a clear violation of the First Amendment because they can't, a city, a government can't tell you, you can gather or you can't gather based on whether they they or not, they like what you said. And uh, we want a settlement from the city and they were supposed to change the the regulations. And um, that regulation change in the way that they did the permitting actually makes it a lot easier for the movement that's happening now. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, because they don't have to go through some of that rigmarole and they're not 
um, they can gather and they're not going to get the same level of police intervention because Mm -hmm. there's some groundwork on there. Also, that court case um, was one of the most cited thereafter from the Occupy movement. So us little group of folks here in Fort Myers just trying to raise our voice engaged in a very small piece of the puzzle that became a large piece of our broader fight for First Amendment rights. So um, I'm very happy to have been a part of that, but I do have this this kind of activist background in my in my blood here as well. So I'm happy to uh, you know be be have other candidates in our region who are doing that as well. But let me flip it back to you guys here. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I know. And it's funny. I don't, I don't get to talk about it that much. Uh, now a little bit more, but less so because everybody's like, "Oh, occupy. Who cares?" Right? But. Uh, it's important. Oh, and yeah, don't yeah, you think that? Um, yeah, uh, I actually somebody was telling me uh, another person that was part of Occupy was telling me about that. And so, I mean, yeah, I'm so grateful that you all did all that work, you know, because it does make it a lot easier um, for protesters, um, you know, to exercise that right. Um, and also, I think it's such a great example, the Occupy Fort Myers movement was such a great example of how even a little protest is important. It doesn't have to mm-hmm. be something huge because it's really about the change that comes about afterwards, um, mm-hmm. like what you all did. So that's such a perfect example of what we need to be doing at our protests. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, and what I um, had told folks to the one rally I was able to get out to is that, yeah, every matter, everything matters. Your voice matters. Um, Coming here and gathering matters. Um, And what I have spent my work on is taking that and then turning the corner with it, too. Right. Because. If you don't engage with the legal system and the government system after those protests, then, um, you know, you have an opportunity that's lost. Right. Right. Because and this is where people don't know. This is where the disenfranchisement and the system comes in is that people don't necessarily know what those next steps are. So, um, I mean, this is why I've been trained way I, I have been in community development, in community organizing. Um, so I can help, people civically engage um, in these kind of moments as well. And I'm, I'm very fortunate for that. And I just reach out to everybody and I'll tell everybody right now, if you're listening to this podcast right now, if you're in Florida, Southwest Florida or anywhere in the United States and you are leading a movement of activists or group of people and you are kind of sitting there going, well, what do I do next? Please reach out to me. I am happy to help you and give you re- uh, tips and tools on how you can turn the corner on your activism and to really make systemic change even at the local level. So please, please do that. Mm. Um, All right. But let's, let's go back to these guys. Yeah, go ahead. We'll definitely use you as a resource with what we're doing with, uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement um, here in uh, downtown Fort Myers. There's been a pretty consistent group that's been marching and we're kind of, trying is starting to you know try to think the long term um and how can we put better legislations together where do we start with that um so we'll definitely um be happy to use you as a resource for that 
reach out and tell me a little bit more about that. So you've been involved with the local Black Lives Matter um, groups and, and protests. Mm-hmm. Yes. Where do you go? Yeah. Yeah, we've been um, act uh, been protesting uh, beginning of like the movement, like around early June when things were heating up. We were going out almost every day. Um, they've been kind of it's been kind of like in this period of where a lot of places are across the country where they're doing marches, they're doing protests, but I mean, it's more of just kind of sitting down and strategizing the next steps. And um, yeah, I mean, it's been really great um, coming out in Fort Myers because it's, I mean, like a lot of Florida cities, it's hard to organize because everything's so suburbanized and overdeveloped and sprawled out. And it's just been a really good way to, bring out a lot of people who are active, um, you know, people from the suburbs coming to places in the downtown and understanding different perspectives and having different kind of political is- uh, issues within their own neighborhoods. So, I mean, it's been great. Um, I mean, it's been peaceful and mostly because the police have not been agitating uh, protesters. Um, and yeah, we've been active. We're, we're by no means the leaders, but um, we're definitely trying to be allies with mm-hmm. everybody involved and trying exactly. to bring together, you know, point out all the cogs within our city government and state governments and national governments, like where we can actually move forward and making these things like police brutality and over-policing criminal justice mm-hmm. issues, uh, not a, you know, mo- direct them more to things that could help out people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. All right, good. That's great too. And and the one part that I had in that uh, was involved in it. I haven't been able to go out uh, kind of as much as my little activist heart wants to, mostly because my daughter is in that vulnerable population. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was the, the one protest that I did uh, get to make it to was uh, with the, the the statue protest, and I was helping a youth group behind the scenes coordinate on that. And uh, I had got a call from one of the teens and they had just said, hey, you know, we want to get, get rid of the Robert E. Lee statue in downtown Fort Myers. I said, perfect. I'm on board. Let me help you. And so I coordinated that group of teens and they had the protest rally. I was on a Saturday a couple of weeks ago and they had about 200 people show up to Centennial Park. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we were there. Um, yeah, awesome. And we were trying to move them initially because they um, there were some counter protesters that were targeting me that were going to show up at the statue. And I had gotten wind of this because there was a Facebook, a secret Facebook group that had this group of um, uh statue supporters i'm trying to be judicious when i say this <laughs> these statue supporters um uh, in this group um including yeah including some local officials by the way who um were coordinating against me and and they were, they were like sharing my picture and my website and stuff and they said this is the person who's coordinating it and and they were ready to come like have a fight with me at the statue about this um, and we were worried that the youth group was going to kind of get caught up in that. But then the, the word had gotten out so effectively that the, the protest was going to be in the park that we ended up having to move them. They ended up going back to the park. So they're getting calls. Hey, we have all these people in the park. And we get over um, to the park. I was standing at the secondary location, which was at the former train station, and basically U-turning people back to the park. And... Um, 
And then I was getting calls. Hey, what's going on? Like who, you know, where's the students? And um, because somebody had set up a microphone. So I was like, oh man, I got to go over to the park and sort sort out what's going on. So I rolled over really quick, threw on my mask, like put my car in park. The kids are in it because I was in the, the car caravan thing, right? Um, had a friend of mine say, I was like, just like, I'm going to just be a couple of minutes, just like hang out, watch the car with the kids. Ran over, saw that the, um, the microphone was this woman that I knew from uh, Occupy had brought the microphone. And so I was like, yes. Oh, I was okay. like, I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, Danielle. Do you know Danielle? Or is it Danielle? Yeah, Danielle. Yeah, we know. Okay. Yeah. There you go. So she's, she and I were like, we knew each other from there. She had the, you know, she was part of the group of people that brought the microphone and they're just like, we just brought the microphone. I'm like, perfect. Oh, they said, they, we don't know who the students are or the people who organize this. I'm like, I do. They were standing in the crowd. <laughs> so I was like, come here. I like pulled them up to the front. I was like, here's the microphone. And it's like, get up there, tell your story, you know, tell why you're here, what you're motivated, what you want to do. And they did it. And they told a fantastic, do you remember Ricky's speech? The boy who called out his classmate. His classmate, uh, who was going he gave a fantastic speech about how um, one of his high school classmates um, was, you know, posting racist things. And she was going to go to FGCU, and um, he basically like screenshotted all of the stuff and uh, sent it to the admissions office. <laughs> oh, what? That's so cool. Uh, yeah. Yes. And he, Ricky was the leader of this youth group um, that had got up there. So it was, uh, it was great. And basically I just set them up. They gave me the mic for, you know, like a minute or whatever. I said, great, thanks. I'm running for Congress. People care about you, but it's actually this youth group here. So I'm going to give it back to them, but, you know, get involved. And I wanted to really keep the focus on them instead of on me and my campaign but I wanted to serve a role and support them. So, mm-hmm. but basically I just went, got back in my car and went back home. Um, Cause I couldn't be exposed anymore kind of thing. And, right. but then right. they, that's when they marched down the street and they had that, they did go toe to toe with the, um, the counter protester uh, and the photos are amazing. And if you can check out my Instagram, <laughs> if you want to see them. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we probably got there. We were, we probably got there after you left. Um, cause I, we, we had got there when it had already started and, um, we, we started March. They had just left to go March from the park and maybe they had done some marching before that. Um, but yeah, I remember they also, the statue was actually taken down, um, because mm-hmm. they had anticipated that we would be there. Um, and so they took it down the night before this group. I think it's called Sons of the Confederates. I, I, I think it was Daughters of the Confederates. Well, it, the statue was put there by the Daughters of the Confederacy, but it, it's currently like stewarded by Sons of the, of the Confederate Veterans. But they took the statue down the day that I put out my, pro, my, my press release saying it's calling for its removal. That was the Monday beforehand. So they they had they knew it was like right when the other move the other protests were coming up and they got scared because the night before um, it was um, 
Birmingham, Alabama, I believe was starting to, some of their statues were being taken down. And so this is where we started coordinating with the group too. The youth group called on that Monday as well and saying, Hey, we want to take it down. Um, and then it got taken down that night um, and given to the sons of Confederate veterans or veteran, whatever, okay. whatever okay. they're not, that's not what they are, but that's what they call themselves. But they have the thing. And it was like quote, legally given to them uh, by, I don't know, the police or something, but we've been trying to press Thank the city council. That's why I said too, like, go ahead, keep it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but the city council, so the youth group then, they coordinated a letter writing campaign and they went and spoke in city council. They, they then kind of um, started uh, aligning themselves with the NAACP here in Lee County to amplify the efforts and, um, you know, so they so we moved from that protest into advocacy space, too. So and they're still continuing their work. So I'm, I'm happy to help support them in that endeavor because we're definitely not letting that go. Definitely. I I refuse to be the, the only place in the entire United States that took down the Confederate statue to protect it. Mm. <laughs> I feel like there should be I more really- of them that have done that. But if that's true, that's funny. Yeah, and it's funny I, I, that, um, I don't, I think it's interesting that, you know, I, the Confederates, they were kind of like American traitors. So I think it's interesting mm-hmm. that a lot of people have this, this clinging to Confederate leaders, um, you know, after gaining independence. And I, I don't know, it's just a little bit confusing, but, um, I think definitely, you know, if it's something that obviously symbolizes a time where there was um, a lot of racial distress, then I think, you know, of course we need to make some changes and put something um, something better there. <laughs> There's got to be something yeah. better. <laughs> yeah, and that particular statue in Fort Myers was put in downtown Fort Myers in 1966 specifically with the purpose of intimidating the black community. The desegregation lawsuit in, in this area was started uh, in 1964. And so yeah, it was God. absolutely put there. And by the way, they didn't desegregate till 1999. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And also, I mean, all across the South, the, um, the, the Confederate flags that now represent the state flags all across the South were not put there post-Civil uh, War, they were put there while desegregation was going on in the 50s, mm. the 60s. It yeah. was just a blatant reaction to um, like Plessy versus Ferguson. Not Plessy versus <laughs> Ferguson, sorry. Board, Brown v. Brown. Education. Yeah, exactly. That's, sorry, different uh, different court case. But um, right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, with these Confederate statues, I mean, there's just this very cognitive dissonance between, um, I think what Rachel's trying to get at was um, the cognitive dissonance between people, some, you know, being very quote unquote pro-American yet mm-hmm. they support the, you know, a, a 13 states that uh, they want to secede from the union just because they're, they outlawed the use of slavery. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's great. That, uh, what I think is also great about what's going on now the the debate about the confederate statues is not it isn't the culture war you know you know in the ether the culture war but i mean the 
the focus of the movement is on the material things like over policing, mm -hmm. prison industrial complex, lack of resources mm -hmm. for housing, education, healthcare, and yeah, I think that's that's what I am very encouraged about because I mean after um after the uh, Charleston shooting five years ago with Dylan Roof, mm -hmm. um, not to say his name, but it, but like the conversation was very much on that portion of the culture war, which is of course really important. But I, I'm encouraged that like now these movements. It's not just the the culture war is being shifted, where um, we're no longer having to debate about the e efficacy of Confederates. There, there is no efficacy. They're you know, it's, they're an organization during Civil War that uh, they intend to let mm -hmm. uh, the states speak over slavery. It's all codified in their documents when they seceded. And yeah, I'm just yeah. I'm very encouraged about what's going on now with what what people are the conversations we're having. It's no longer about just uh, holding police accountable for their murders; it's holding them accountable for the dearth of resources that go to them while mm -hmm. people are living in poverty, mm -hmm. don't have health insurance, are watching their rent increase rapidly, mm -hmm. and so on. Yeah, yeah, it's systemic, okay. and I think that the statues um, and the, with the eye on the confederacy the reason that it makes sense is if you run it through the frame of white supremacy because that's kind of what it all comes mm -hmm. down to now the people who are doing it and experiencing that don't kind of get it a lot of times i think and that's why there's you know there's dissonance right because sometimes people they don't see themselves as a racist person but they are actually advocating for essentially a racist system mm -hmm. and the thing that's really disappointing for me is sitting yesterday in a candidate forum, a bipartisan candidate forum, and have every single one of the Republicans say that they do not believe that there's such a thing as systemic racism. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, that's a very yeah. bold statement. And I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> there were seven of them. That's what, that's what they said. Yeah. They couldn't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me, but I mean, it is still, there's still, it's part of, I mean, the politics nowadays is like, you know, part of you is surprised and then part of you is not surprised. And that continues to be, I mean, even in 2020 hearing there's no systemic racism. I mean, for a county that is named was, after, sorry. Yeah, no, named no. after Robert E. Lee. Yeah. And like you said, Cindy, that uh, the year 1999, that's still so baffling to me that. Um, uh -huh. segregation, you know, didn't happen, or segregation still happened up until then. That's so wild uh -huh. to me, but it's also, you know, people that are running for office, it's easy for them to brush it off and say, well, systemic racism isn't a thing because they haven't experienced it. But all the while, uh -huh. their constituents that may have, many of them have experienced it and in their lifetimes, you know, it's, I guess what I'm trying to say is we have people that are representing us who don't understand the effects of the systems that they mm -hmm. are keeping in place, essentially. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, and it's I something that, that I've been... Fight and end. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it is, so here for me, and, you know, keeping in mind that, like, my background, too, is, like, very... It's, I got a, you know, a master's in international public administration, and my my doctorate was a continuation of that work. My uh, my undergraduate was psychology and international relations too. So I have this kind of very, 
I start from a systems frame. Let's put it that way. I start mm-hmm. from this understanding that we live in an interconnected world. And there is just a fundamental philosophical difference that some people have. Like, And it comes down to people's ability to feel like they can be effective in their world, right? People look at systems and they get overwhelmed because it's mm-hmm. complex, because there's interconnections and also because there's no right answer. That's a very uncomfortable space for people to be in. However, when people have, you know, we call it in my field, sometimes the silver bullet thinking, right? Where it's like, here's the problem. Here's the solution. Boom, done. And you just ignore the complexity and you ignore the nuance and you feel better about yourself. You do because you had a problem. You solved it. You're, 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 you yeah. got it. You got it done. Right. It's the, and this is for me, even this goes beyond like this partisanship. This is like really how we fundamentally operate in this world. And there are people that want to live in that silver bullet thinking land. Um, and then there's others of us that kind of recognize that life is messy and it's nonlinear and it's complex and it's uncomfortable and there is no right solution. And there can be multitudes of ways that we can address things. And that's not, you know, that's a different way to live. And, and it's very much embedded in American culture too, by the way, this is, you know, I even look at, I attribute the election of Donald Trump to this desire for simplicity in a complex world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's you want to go? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And I think with the silver bullet kind of thinking, I mean, it kind of goes both ways where it's um, you get people who are well-intentioned, like, you know, this kind of recent um, upsurge in reading of uh, the book, white fragility, which, I mean, I think it's a good read, but, it's a lot of the emphasis on the personal um, racial mm-hmm. dynamics, which are of course important. Like we, every individual mm-hmm. needs to recognize they're capable of being prejudiced in any kind of way. However, the problem with like focusing it so much on the individual is that we're, you know, I can personally understand a lot of the ways I have a privilege as a white person or have, you know, basic, you know, like I can, Go go to a bandana, wear a bandana, and go into Walgreens without it being kind of suspicious. And for COVID, for instance, but I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. I think people don't really like. For instance, a big thing with, that I studied in school was redlining and ghettoization mm-hmm. policy in the U.S. And I mean, that was such a huge reason why. I mean, today we can see it too. I mean, why is there? Why are there predominantly black and brown people um, that are relegated in poor neighborhoods in downtown Fort Myers or basically every Mm -hmm. city across the state and U.S.? And I mean, it's because banks um, that drew red lines around neighborhoods explicitly saying only black and brown people are going to live here and we're not going to give a lot of investment publicly to these places. And I mean, Mm -hmm. and the, the silver bullet thinking is like, well, we got rid of those laws. The Fair Housing Act was passed. We outlawed overt racial discrimination in housing and uh, civil rights and all, all such cases. But I mean, we don't do anything to actually revamp that. I mean, when you have mm-hmm. in the 60s and 70s, we manufacturing jobs left most major cities and that was a way to, the manufacturing jobs provided well-paying union jobs in cities. Mm-hmm. And um, once those left, you 
had places that were already being disinvested and you had white flight mm -hmm. and suburban rise but now it's like there was no public investment um all the only public investment we had was a massive drug war and mass incarceration uh complex that was created around that and we have people that even if they can get a job or in low wage service working jobs like the ones that me and rachel actually worked in college too but we, of course don't have we had much more resources than a lot of people in these con, con, uh, <laughs> communities but yeah i mean it's there isn't a silver thinking. I mean, it's it's the same thing with like poverty or any kind of yeah. lack of access to public goods where black and brown people have disproportionate rates of poverty or uninsured yeah. rates or evictions, yet it's affecting poor people across ethnicities and uh, backgrounds and sexualities and um, all sorts mm -hmm. of issues. And I think it's it's like it's complicated for people because it's like, you have to take in all of the above and that's i mean that's also something that the civil rights movement was trying to address too that they were putting the the needle on black black people specifically in the south and north are being discriminated against in all x y and z ways but these issues are affecting everybody like and okay. people everywhere and in different kind of rates like black people probably in general face worse conditions in housing than white people but white people still have to face foreclosure and mm -hmm. it's you know it's a lot of these kind of issues that people they fail to really take into account and i think where what my kind of view of the political landscape in florida is that we need to lift up all like we need to fund everything that invests in public good we need to have better schools for everybody we need to have affordable housing for everybody but if we do it in such a way then everyone benefits but we're also taking care of the racial backlog that we have in this country too. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And a lot well, of and I, that's a really go ahead, Rachel. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good thing to bring up that um, I think altogether what we need is a shift away from thinking about the last resort and mm -hmm. going towards preventative measures. So how can we yeah. I mean if we're investing forty percent of our tax money in i think it's in city, lee county it's city of, city of fort myers. Uh, the city of fort myers it's 40 percent of our tax money goes to police and mm -hmm. you know it's uh, so, um when you hear that number you kind of start to understand why people are saying defund the police you know it's not that we don't want a police it's that if we take some of that money and just invest it in communities and making our schools better um you know in programs that can help homeless people, um, you know, um, programs that can yep. provide people more affordable housing, you know, then people can just have the structural change that they need. Communities can have a structural change that they need to, you know, just be, be better communities that have more resources. And um, I think, uh, I think education, um, Education, the fact that, you know, it's based on our property, tax. our property taxes, um, you mm -hmm. know, and that funds the local school. When you think about it, it's really not equal opportunity if you don't originally have equal education. If you, mm -hmm. you know, have unequal education, then some people are going to be prepared for better jobs and some people just aren't. And then that's mm -hmm. how the cycle of poverty continues. So if we just, 
take some of that money that we're using for, you know, kind of the last measure of arresting mm-hmm. people and putting them in jail. If we just take some of that money and invest it in the community, um, then then we don't need to focus so much on policing because we won't need to police so much. Yeah, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And, you know, for historical context for people who are listening here, Fort Myers in, in Southwest Florida has got a very um, troubled past with, with the segregation as well. Um, the there are places in this community that you know they called them deed restricted where you know going back to the redlining they people weren't allowed they weren't even allowed to, to live in those places I actually moved out of a community once I realized that that was the scenario um, I couldn't I, I didn't want to be a part of it um, and it was actually physically thank you it was physically designed to keep everybody else out like it's like the roads didn't um there was like one entrance and one exit um and it didn't go on to like the main thoroughfare and had an eight foot cement wall um and on the other side of the 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 main road is one of the poorest communities in this area Mm -hmm. and um so it looked like if and i got really upset about it because there was a uh an economic study that said, oh, look at this area has really high levels of diverse economic, you know, integration. And it's not true. It's just that because actually within like a half a mile, there were people who were in poverty and people who were in the, you know, upper 10% of our tax brackets. Right. Um, But they, they physically couldn't touch each other. Right. Like you're talking, it was like an eight foot wall, a, a two, a, two directional six lane road there was a drainage ditch that was like six foot drainage ditch and then the poor community (laughs) you know like the poor neighborhood and so it looked like if you're just doing you know econometrics it looked like it was integrated but really it wasn't and this is kind of like Yeah, yeah, very diverse. But it loops back into me why like all these things about infrastructure and the way we actually design our communities matter, right? So if, yeah, if we're putting in six lane roads going in two different directions, that's going to cut people apart from one another. And yeah, if we're allowing communities to be built and either be gated or deed restricted or put these little other ways to kind of keep some out or keep some in, then we're not going to have integrated communities, and that's a problem for me. Um, and that structural component I've been kind of witnessing in my research for several years and try to advocate for as well. Um, mm-hmm. But so guys, tell me, so we're, you know, we've been talking for a while, very great conversation, but I want to hear a little bit more about what are you going to do? Tell us, you know, why, what are you going to do when you get elected? Um, why should people vote for you? Rachel, go ahead and t- start off. Um. Wow. Well, uh, I can go first. I think that, well, let me start by saying that in the last election, only 38% of Democrats actually went out to vote. And I think the, and I looked at the numbers and it's been, you know, pretty consistently low. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's because we're just not giving them Democrats to vote for. We're not giving them progressives to vote for either. And again, we're just keeping these same establishment politicians in office. And so the Mm -hmm. thing that I would really like to do is empower communities, empower individuals to actually have a say in their local governments. I want to end the whole um, 
I want to end the fact that a lot of people just don't know the legislations that are being passed without them knowing. Um, so that's one thing. Um, another thing that I want to talk about is human trafficking. That's something that is definitely not talked about enough, but we have a lot of labor trafficking and sex trafficking here mm -hmm. in Florida. Um, you know, so there's that. Also, environmental issues like uh, the Clean Water Act is an example, or I'm sorry, the Clean Waterways Act is um, a good example of a preventative legislation that is um, currently trying to be passed. Um, what they're trying to do with it is prevent people from establishing a legal right to clean air and clean water. And mm -hmm. so that's something that I want to fight. Um, I want Great. people to have a legal right to clean air and clean water. It's absolutely fundamental if we want to clean up the algae blooms. Um, that's the f absolute first step. And I think it's ridiculous that people don't have that right. Um, yeah, there, I mean, absolutely. there's so many other things, um, affordable housing in the area. I've seen that just, mm -hmm. um, you know, mm -hmm. housing prices skyrocket. 42% um, of homes in Lee County are rented. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of renters that are facing extreme hardship right now due to COVID-19 mm -hmm. and not being able to pay their rent, which is already high enough. I want mm -hmm. to have a better emergency plan for things like this that could happen in the future because clearly we've seen that we didn't have that plan. You know, we didn't have, um, yeah, I mean, we didn't, we didn't have a plan. We didn't have a plan, you're right. Like we had no plan, we're just, and we still don't. We're just winging it. So, yeah, so we need to plan for our citizens um, in crises mm -hmm. that, we, that are out of our control. All right, great. Anselm. What do you think? What's uh, why should people vote for you? Why? Why? What do you want to accomplish? Um, a lot of the things that Rachel mentioned are things that I um, am definitely trying to push. The big thing is, for me are um, one, we need a minimum wage that needs to be a living wage. And that one thing I'll just say to people listening yes. to Amendment 2, um, which is coming up November 3rd, this November. Um, please, please, please go out and vote for that and spread the word. That will raise the minimum wage to 15 an hour by 2026, and it'll be adjusted for inflation from there on. So if anyone tries right. to say, oh, prices will go up, it'll make sure prices don't go up dramatically and we can have a... And even though $15 an hour is not exactly a living wage, right? It, by then it will be a living wage of about 13 an hour right now. It still is a great step up, but that's definitely something I want I think people should um, take an interest in my campaign, campaign because, yeah, I'm trying to make sure that affordable housing is a really big cornerstone of Florida. I think we clearly with this pandemic, it shows that we need rent relief for people. We need to do something about the growing rate of rent that's going on. Mm -hmm. um, and we also, I, I mean, especially with COVID, I think we need to move towards a if the federal government's not going to do it i think the state needs to overtake a health care universal health care plan for the state um it will be difficult there's plenty of um regulations that we would have to sift through but that's something that i'm willing to undertake and i think everyone should understand how crucial it is to have health care that's not tied to employment 
or mm -hmm. has to go through so much jargon and so much time and energy when it's simply just your right to have the healthcare that you need. Moreover, um, beyond that, with I mean, especially this is timely with the defunding police narrative. I, I think that it's not even just the police necessarily that I think we need to talk about in terms of revamping. Uh, we have a whole criminal justice system in Florida that needs to be revamped. Mm -hmm. I mean, Florida is one of the most incarcerated states in the country. We actually mm -hmm. have, I mean, we have an incarcerated rate that's higher than the national average, which is already mm. insanely high. And I mean, we have, yeah. I think that drug possession charges need to be decriminalized and those who are found with possession of narcotics should be sent to rehab boards and overseen and have like actual health officials help out in that case. And we need to um, revamp our mandatory minimum laws, which make it impossible for people, low income people to have a chance in the criminal justice system because prosecutors can just take a use mandatory minimum sentence and like, look, yeah, 50, you can either take three years or you can take a 15 year sentence with this mandatory minimum. You should take a plea bargain. And that mm -hmm. results in 95 to 97% of all court cases being settled by plea bargains. Mm. Um, and also, of course, clean water is just a giant issue down here. And I mean, Florida in general is going to be one of the biggest epicenters of climate change that's going to happen. So yep. I am going to focus heavily on clean water. And for all those who are listening to my opponents are trying to run on both Adam Botana and Jason Mahon are trying to run on being pro clean water yet. They're definitely in support of the same kind of GOP environmental policies, like building toll roads, um, mm -hmm. allowing biosols be polluted into our waterways. And they, they're on paper for clean water, but, um, what I'm for not is real. trying to, yeah, it's not really there. It's it's not taking out the root causes of our agriculture industries polluting in the waterways, and that's obviously something that we're going to undertake. So yeah, the I would say for anybody who want who is interested in candidates that are actually going to put their money where their mouth is and fight for issues that affect low income people and the environment, um, then I this is a campaign uh, for you because. <laughs> There isn't any of that. I mean, there is some of that, of course. You have Anna Eskamani and others in the state legislature, but we need more of those kind of voices in Tallahassee. And yeah, yeah, definitely. That's that's most absolutely. I am running on. Yeah, thank you. And yeah, absolutely. Keep fighting that Republican greenwashing because that's all they do. They, they, yeah. you know, the was it like two years ago, year and a half ago now? They um, there was a study that came out that said seventy eight percent of people in Southwest Florida believe that climate change is real and they prioritize water. And basically, once that that came out, all the Republicans did a hard turn, <laughs> a hard pivot, right towards oh, oh, I care about water, I care. And again, you're right on paper and in words, but not indeed. So keep calling out that greenwashing. Absolutely. And before we close out here, I just want to advocate for both of you to consider, especially because you had mentioned that sustainability is an important um, consideration for you is I would say that we need to look significantly at getting Florida overall aligned to the sustainable development goals, the global goals. Mm -hmm to achieve peace, oh, yeah. uh, environmental justice, and security in our world. They're, um, it's, they're very sound metrics. They um, are related to actionable items, and they are related to changes that we need to make. Um, I've aligned my platform to them. 
And um, I think it's something that if we get our state on board and we can get our municipalities on board and basically we can all row in the same direction towards making progress in these goals, then we're going to be better off. So I I just want to give all that little pitch for the sustainable Mm -hmm. development goals. Um, I'm hoping that um, I can start the sustainable development goal caucus in Congress when I get there, because I think that it's that important that we align all of our efforts um, to make sure that we're, we're achieving these goals, because especially with things like climate change, we are on a ticking clock and um, we have to be, yeah, right. We have to be efficient in how we address them. And if we're all combining those efforts, then we need to do that. Um, so before we leave here, tell us, so thank you guys both so much for coming here. It's so exciting to hear your energy and your passion around these uh, important issues. So tell us how we can help. What can people do listening to this podcast? How can they connect with you? Um, what do you need? Um, yeah, we, um, definitely need volunteers. You know, um, we're trying to call it, we're trying to be, you know, it's, this is a very hard campaign because we can't do the typical things that campaigns do with canvassing, but we will be trying to do phone banking as much as possible. Um, mm-hmm. We'll need people just spreading the word around the community and um, not to sound too like solicitous, but I mean, we're definitely at a funding disadvantage with the GOP. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if anyone has a privilege or time, just check out our, our website, mm-hmm. look over our issues try to get involved, donate if you can. Um, I hate saying, I hate saying like, don't, you're a candidate now. You got to ask. You don't get things and ask. Okay. Be confident. They're making an investment in you an investment in their future. People who can will. Okay. People who can't, they, 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 they won't, but they may be interested and exciting about your campaign. And so they may want to volunteer or something like that, but don't be ashamed to ask for help. And that includes financial help. So, you know, stepping up to help and people want to invest in that type of campaign. So don't be ashamed of it, but tell us where your website is and how can they contribute. Yes, you can um, go to my website at Anselm Weber, um, statehouse76.com. Um, all low caps, I'll say it again, Anselm Weber, statehouse76.com. And let's spell that, that's A-N-S-E-L-M-W-E-B-E-R. Yes, statehouse76.com. Perfect. Rachel? And uh, my website? My website is uh, Rachel Brown for Florida Senate. Rachel Brown for Florida Senate. It's all spelled out. Um, dot com. All right. And something Great. also um, before we go, something that is extremely exciting is that if I win, then the Democrats have. Well, if I win, and if two other candidates uh, win. Basically, we have a very high likelihood of having a Democrat majority in the state Senate, which is extremely exciting. And so Democrats should be very excited for that. And they should look out for Democrats in their area. If they're not in District 27, there are progressives running, um, like we said, all around Florida. 
Yeah, absolutely. So if you're listening to this and you want to help two young progressive candidates help to flip the Florida Senate and flip the this House too, the House is, needs to be flipped too. There's, there's both Republican yeah. majority, correct? Right. So flip the Florida House, flip the Florida Senate so we can make sure that we get progressive and people focused policies in there. Check out their website and Rachel Brown. And just before we leave, because I don't think we explained this, why are you going podcast here together? Sorry, what do you say? I said, why are you on this podcast together? Um, <laughs> because I mean, we're a couple and, there you, go. <laughs> you know, yeah, one thing. We, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, we, you know, basically met, uh, you know, at, in, at FGCU and, um, you know, had a lot of the same, um, same ideas about helping poor people and the environment. And, you know, we have a lot of the same progressive policies and, um, Perfect. Yeah, and it's a great honor to be on your podcast. Yeah, very Thanks. much so. Thanks. And sorry to put you guys on the spot. I just realized that we went through this whole thing and never really explained why we had both of you here today. So it's because yeah, they so. are the future progressive power couple looking to flip the Florida House and Senate. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm so happy to have you guys running. I'm so happy that you are coming on my show here today. Um, and we are going to continue to work together to support one another because this is what needs to be done. We cannot let races go to, to Republicans because it's easier that way. We can't. Exactly. And that's exactly why we're running. No matter what. Yeah, we got to go. We got to fight. We can't just let them go and just assume that it's going to, it's not, um, it's going to be too hard because it doesn't matter. Every single effort, every candidate that we run in a race um, matters. And this is where we learned from one of the coordinators of this kind of getting everybody on the ticket here in Florida, 90 for 90, Dr. Fergie Reed is a big proponent of it. Um, and, um, and also big shout out to um, Joel Christensen, uh, Dr. Christensen, um, who is, uh, works with the, the state Democratic Environmental Caucus and uh, she was really passionate about this. And we we are indebted to both uh, Janelle and uh, 90 for 90 for helping to lead us and inspire us because this is what we need to do. We have to get candidates out and then we have to get out the vote and we got to get our country back. So thank you both for coming and thanks everybody for being here uh, at Dr. Cindy Speaks. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Cindy. You, Have Cindy. a great day and stay safe and well. Thanks. Stay safe. Stay well, friends. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Dr. Cindy Speaks. If you'd like to learn more about her campaign, go to cindybenye.com or connect with her directly at vote at cindybenye.com. We love connecting with people. Contents of this podcast are paid for and approved by friends of Sandy Benye.